Well, people can't pay their mortgages. Manufacturing industry is practically on its knees. Honest, hard-working, decent people are losing their homes. It's terribly the, shameful. The point is, Prime Minister, we must moderate the pace if, of if reform. If we even have a hope of winning the next election. Oh, right, yes. worried about our careers, are we? Really? Oh. That's quite absurd. Gentlemen, if we don't cut spending, we will be bankrupt. Yes, the medicine is harsh, but the patient requires it in order to live. Should we withhold the medicine? No, we are not wrong. We did not seek election and win in order to manage the decline of a great nation. The people of this country chose us because they believe we can restore the health of the British economy, and we will do just that. Barring a failure of nerve. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. I open up with that scene from The Iron Lady, a movie from 2011 about Margaret Thatcher. And you know what? Uh, Great leaders are great leaders. And uh, even though they're talking about the British Empire, you know, we must cut spending if we're going to save our economy. You know, and and, uh, hey, you know what? Are we worried about, we're not going to get reelected. Are we worried about our careers, are we? You know, that, that says a lot. That says a lot to what we're seeing, you know, the the whole the whole idea of the the war against Donald Trump is both sides trying to trying to keep their jobs. Not just keep their jobs, but keep the money tree that goes with it. You know, you you, all, you always wonder why does somebody spend a billion dollars to get a $400,000 a year job? Why does somebody spend millions and millions of dollars to get a $172,000 a year job as a congressperson that's only a two-year job. So why why is that? Because there's so much more that goes with it. There's so much corruption. There's so much, you know, how do people go into, go into government with uh, almost no money and come out millionaires? I mean, I know went into my career with no money and I came out a millionaire, but uh, you know, I worked and I worked and I worked and I, and I took risk and I, and I suffered uh, setbacks. I didn't get a guaranteed cushy job with a $172,000 a year paycheck um, just because somebody elected me because I was cool and I went out there and made some speeches and uh, then get in there. Hey, you know, what is what is really your experience to make the make decisions on on foreign policy? What is your experience to make decisions on 
on uh, how we fix our budget. What's your experience to make decisions based on our economy? None. But hey, I make a good speech and I'm good looking and I'm uh, and I kiss babies and I shake hands and people like me. You know what? I'm going to do a great show today because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and dug on it. People like me. That's how we elect people. And you know what? That's how, and when you think about it, and we're going to talk about some stuff going on in California, the California voters are the stupidest voters in the whole country. We don't pay attention. Well, you know, uh, Dianne Feinstein, uh, she's running for re-election. Uh, seems like she's doing a good job so far. She's been in there since I was in grade school. Uh, you know, in uh, I think I remember reading about her in the Weekly Reader when she was first running to to be part of our government. I think she was running for Congress, Congress at the time and before she was a senator. But you know, she's been in there. How old is this lady? I was like I was like uh, I don't know twelve when I first started reading about her, maybe ten, and I'm coming up on sixty two now. And, uh, you know, and we're, we're wondering why the California voters are still voting for her. It's amazing to me. Well, Biden's the most experienced. He's the most experienced person we've ever had. Is he intelligent? Is he capable? Nope. But he's the most experienced. Let's vote him in. We don't want Donald Trump because they say bad things about Donald Trump. Uh, of course, he did four years and he made our economy better and he made our lives better and he made our country safer and he made gas prices come down. But we don't want him because everybody says he's he's a meanie. He tweets bad things. All the spin. And then I, that song I used was You Spin Me Round by Dead or Alive from 1985 that most people will recognize from the 1999 uh, cult classic movie The Wedding Singer. But, you know, it's all about spin and, and it's so much of it this week. This weekend, I'm going to talk about how uh, both parties are spinning this debt deal and uh, this debt ceiling vote that went on, and uh, and I'm going to and I'm going to make some sense to you. You go, well, let's see. Kevin McCarthy's saying they won. The Democrats are asking, acting like they won. And why are the Republicans all mad at, at Kevin McCarthy now? Maybe because of the spin going on. They're spinning us round and round like a record, baby. And uh, But we're going to talk about that. But before I do, let me introduce myself. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and the opportunities are getting better as the interest rates are starting to uh, come down, uh, if you want to get in, you want to get some financing for some of those opportunities, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you uh, want to get some information about financing, but you don't want to talk on the phone, uh, do the cyber thing, go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N and, uh, .net and, uh, and go to, and, and uh, click on the United American Mortgage logo. That'll take you to my lending page. You can fill in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear from myself or one of my talented teammates will help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Um, if there's any part of the show you want repeated or you happen to miss it one week, you can stay on edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page and you'll hear uh, you'll have access to this show as well as several past shows. Um, and you can listen on demand. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, where you can uh, subscribe for free. And uh, once a week, uh, you'll, I record on Friday mornings. It'll uh, upload on Friday afternoon. It'll download to your device. Shortly thereafter, you can listen to it on demand in your car, at your home, anywhere you want. On At the beach, you'll be laying on the beach here and people listening to the main event. And uh, you can stay up on what's happening in this world. 
If you have comments on the show, send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. All right, let's talk about what's going on and the spin around it. It was down to the wire on the debt ceiling this week. Let's do a quick recap and talk about where things stand. Remember, the first the House first passed Kevin McCarthy's Limit Save Grow Act on April 26th. The bill would have cut discretionary spending back to fiscal year 22 levels, $142 billion in spending cuts in the first year. But as we, as we covered this over the last month, Democrats were calling the Limit Save Grow Act the Default on America Act, and everyone knew it didn't stand a chance in the Senate. Then we saw the so-called Group of Four meetings, where Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell were supposed to be negotiating with, with uh, Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, and Hakeem Jeffries, and those went seemingly nowhere. So last Friday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen moved the deadline past from, from June 1st to June 5th, uh, which was uh, so convenient. I feel good. I met a wonderful doctor. He gave a guy six months to live. Couldn't pay his bill. Gave him another six months. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, uh, hey, we said June 1st, but, you know, we got a holiday weekend coming up, and uh, June 1st is in the middle of the week. Let's, uh, let's give it till the end, of the end of the weekend, and we'll make it June 5th to Memorial Day weekend. When, uh, the, deal, when the deal was reached between uh, Biden and McCarthy, the agreement was packaged into a 99-page bill called the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Once again, it's a different bill than the one that passed the House a month ago. That was the Limit, Save, Grow Act. They're calling the new one the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Titles sound similar, but they are absolutely not. Here's, what, here's what's in the Fiscal Responsibility Act. As we go through this, we'll talk about why 71 Republicans, the 45 Freedom Caucus members plus 26 more, voted no on it. And why a few of the Freedom Caucus members are, are threatening to jeopardize McCarthy's speakership over this. You know, up until, up until this negotiation, I was really pleasantly surprised with how Kevin McCarthy's handling his job as a Speaker of the House. But uh, this one, uh, he basically shot himself in the foot on this one, in my opinion. What's in the bill? Suspension of the debt ceiling over 18 months. The centerpiece of the agreement is suspending the debt limit, now set at $31.4 trillion until January 2025. They didn't give it a, a dollar amount. They just gave it a, a 18 months, basically an open checkbook. This would allow the government to keep borrowing money and paying its bills on time as long as Congressman passes this agreement before Monday, June 5th. Spending caps and cuts. In exchange for, for suspending the debt ceiling, Repu Republicans demanded across-the-board spending caps over the next two years and discretionary spending caps for six years. But in fiscal year 24, this bill would only cut discretionary spending by $12 billion. That's just 9% of what Limit Save Grow Act offered. That bill would have cut discretionary spending by $142 billion. So we're talking about a major departure from the previous bill, and that's a big reason why 71 Republicans voted no. Um, and, and clearly why so many Dem Democrats jumped on board. Funding would be allowed to grow at only 1% annually. This is considered a cut because it's lower than the rate of inflation, currently around 5%. Of course, we're, curr we're currently spending way more than the tax money we bring in, so why, why, should we, why should we limit the spending increases? Why don't we do spending cuts? This sounds logical to me. However, there are two exceptions to this cut. Defense funding would see a 3% increase above the current year to $886 billion. And veterans' health care would get a 16% increase to be funded at $138 billion. According to the White House fact sheet, 
Both of these exceptions were, quote, at the president's request, unquote. They want to make sure that everybody says, hey, the president's the one that put this in. But as we've said here many times, Republicans were never trying to take away funding from defense or veterans' health care. Not in the previous bill, not in this bill. That's just the Democrat rhetoric for low-information voters. Hey, you know what? That's their spin. Hey, the Democrats saved saved uh, Social Security. They saved health care. They saved uh, uh, veterans' health care. They saved the world. They saved democracy. Uh, you know, if, and if you watch President Trump on Thursday on Hannity when he did it, the first half of his town hall that uh, we'll see the rest of it on Friday night. You know, he talked about how what he did for veterans is say, hey, you know what? For veterans, uh, if if you couldn't get an appointment within 24 hours of needing one uh, through the VA, you could go to a private hospital and the private hospitals would uh, take care of you and they would bill the VA directly. And uh, that's what made everything turn around during Trump's Trump's guidelines, but during Trump's administration. But of course, you know, that's, uh, you know, in in uh, the Democrat world, all you got to do is increase spending and that saves the world. It doesn't mean that you're going to get any service, just they're going to spend more money. Repeal of IRS funding. The deal claws back $1.4 billion in IRS funds that were appropriated in last year's budget reconciliation. Then another $10 billion would be repurposed for the next two fiscal years. Now, does this mean Kevin McCarthy is keeping his promise to prevent the government from hiring 87,000 new IRS, IRS agents? Probably not. Because cutting $1.4 billion from an agency that has an annual budget of $80 billion still leaves the IRS with a budget of more than $78 billion. And in the IRS's strategic operating plan last month, they said they could hire 20,000 new em- employees with $8.64 billion. So do the math. Does cutting $1.4 billion prevent them from hiring 87,000 new agents? No. 87,000 new agents, based on that math, would be $35 billion. He cut $1.4 billion. This bill fall, falls far short of the $50 billion in the IRS cuts that McCarthy promised in the Limit, Save, Grow Act. So there's another reason why Republicans voted no and, uh, and that some of them are calling for uh, McCarthy's job. Uh, to be lost. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it just, it's unending how, how the, how the Republicans are calling this a victory. Um, rescinding unspent COVID funds. The bill would rescind $28 billion in unspent COVID relief funds, funds from dozens of federal programs that received aid during the pandemic. All those rental assistance programs, small business loan programs, and broadband for for rural area programs. Remember those? And think about this. When you hear all these people people uh, uh, talking about, do you own a business? Did you keep your employees paid during the COVID? Uh, you know, the new, the new uh, payroll tax rebate allows you to get up to $26,000 per employee. And even if you already got PPP, call us to help you do the claim. And you, you hear all these claims. I've talked about this a couple times on the radio. But you know what? I have, I have a borrower... Who uh, who just recently called me and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about buying a commercial building, or maybe an apartment building." And and this lady's a great hardworking immigrant who runs a great business, and and I admire her quite quite a lot. And uh, but she says, uh, but but I'm talking to her, and she I said, "Well, how much money do you have to spend?" She goes, "Well, I've got about between seven and eight hundred thousand dollars." And I go, "Well." You just laid out a million dollars for a down payment on a $1.6 million house for your daughter to buy a house in Alameda uh, last year. And you've already 
regained seven or eight hundred thousand dollars man i admire this lady she's a hard hard worker and she and uh, you know we have lots of conversations i really admire her and uh but she goes well this didn't all come from the business she goes you know that payroll tax thing she goes i get calls every single day from people trying to get me to go with it and you know i finally just said okay go ahead and do it you know what do i got to do and uh and and i said and how much did they get of it she goes 10 percent, and i go 10 percent. so you got over eight hundred thousand dollars in a rebate from the from the from the federal government. She goes, yeah. She goes, but you know, I'm I still haven't cashed the check. I haven't put it in the bank because I'm afraid in some of the small print I'm gonna have to pay it back, and I don't want to owe anybody any money. And uh, so I'm still kind of leery of it. But you know, they harass you enough, and you finally just say, okay, let's see let's see what this amounts to. And uh, and she went with it. And uh, you know, she's looking to uh, buy a commercial building and. You know what? I got to hand it to her. She, this lady has, has multiple corporations. She's a immigrant from Nigeria. She put her daughter through medical school. I have, I have complete admiration for this lady and she kind of feels guilty about it, but you know what? Most everybody else that's got this stuff, they don't feel guilty at all. So however, the limit save grow act would have rescinded more than $50 billion in COVID funds. And as the heritage heritage foundation reported Thursday, um, they, they got it down to rescinding 28 billion, but 22 billion of the 28 billion is made available to Democrats to spend through a single fund at the department of commerce. So there's another reason why 70, 71 Republicans voted no, because, Hey, we're supposed to cut $50 billion of that. They cut it down to 28 and they gave 22 back to the commerce department. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, went from 50 billion to 6 billion as I do the math. You know, so far it sounds like the like the uh this negotiation between uh uh between uh McCarthy and Biden uh it's kind of like a scene from Love Actually. Now there is one final thing I think we should look at. It's very close to my heart. Just give me a second. I'll give you anything you ask for. As long as it's not something I don't want to give. Exactly. So McCarthy says, hey, these are the things we got to do. And Biden's saying, yeah, I'll give you I'll, I'll, I'll make any necessary cuts unless it's something I don't want to cut. You know, so uh, the next thing on the list is work requirements for welfare. As McCarthy promised, there are additional work requirements for welfare recipients, starting with adults without dependents who receive assistance through Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or SNAP, also known as food stamps. And in California, we know those as EBT cards. However, those requirements only amount to increasing the age of imposing a work requirement from age 49 to 54. So as I understood it, you know what, you had to have dependent children, but, but for people who get this that don't have dependent children, I didn't think that used to be, you know, you used to call it a, a, a aid for people with dependent children. Um, I don't know. Uh, now, apparently, we're giving it to people without without children. So uh, so they move that work requirement from 49 to 54. All it does is raise, raise the age to those who need to work in order to get food stamps. And it would expand food stamps access for veterans and homeless people. So according to the Congressional Budget Office, this bill actually increases the number of Americans who qualify for food stamps. 78,000 more people, says the CBO. And since we're increasing access, that means we're increasing spending on food stamps. By how much? $2.1 billion. 
So there's another reason why 71 Republicans voted against this bill and why a bunch of them are calling for McCarthy's uh, position as uh, Speaker of the House. All they've done is moving the money from the left pocket to the right pocket, and they're, and they're claiming victory for that. Regardless, Republicans are calling this a win. And because, and because there are actually two welfare programs involved here, yes, one of them is SNAP. The other one is called TANF. Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, which is the cash assistance program most of us normally think of when we hear the term welfare. McCarthy did negotiate a $5 million cut to TANF in this deal, which seems like a glass of water out of the ocean. $5 million? Wow. We're talking trillions. We're talking billions and trillions, and you cut $5 million and you're calling that a victory? The next one is ending Joe Biden's freeze on student loan payments. The bill would actually prevent the president from issuing another last-minute extension, as he's done several times, because uh, we don't want people to have to pay pay for the money they actually borrowed. Of course, uh, of course, uh, that's different from what you hear Karine Jean Pierre talk from the podium when she's talking about the uh, the the uh, the debt limit. If you buy a car, you are expected to pay the monthly payments. If you buy a home, you are expected to pay the mortgage every month. That is the expectation. Yeah, that's the expectation. But if you borrow money to go to school, the expectation is, well, you're not getting an education. You're getting indoctrination and shouldn't have to pay for that. McCarthy is counting this as a win, saying that the pause on payments has cost the government roughly $5 billion per re- of revenue per month, each month. And, of course, I have another borrower who's borrowing money, in a, and I'm asking her about her debts before I run her credit. She goes, well, I got student loans, but they're not in repayment. I don't have to start paying those till next year. And I said, well, you know, you still have to pay them, so I have to count 1%, 1% of your total. So how much is your total? And she said $200,000. She goes, but I'm on an income-based retirement, uh, income-based repayment plan. And I go, well, you can't use the income-based retirement uh, repayment plan uh, payment unless you're actually repaying them. So the good thing is that people will actually have to start making payments uh, for that expensive education, that expensive party they did for four years. House members were given 72 hours to review the bill before voting on Wednesday. McCarthy says, says this brings an end to Nancy Pelosi's era of passing the bill to see what's in it. And he's proud of what he negotiated with Biden. Look, uh, it's a different Congress. It's a new day. This isn't a thousand page bill. This is 99 pages. And this is different than we've ever had before. A debt limit is like the family having a credit card, but you've been charging it up every year and just keep lifting the limit. This year's different. In this family, we may have a child that uh, able-bodied, not married, no kids, but he's sitting on the couch collecting welfare. We're going to put work requirements on that individual, so he's going to have work requirements. He's going to get a job, and it's going to make the life easier. But we're also going to look at places we've been spending our money that we've wasted that we're going to return, like all that COVID money that we didn't spend. We're going to bring it back. The president has been spending money wildly. If he wants to put a new regulation in, he has to cut government if it costs more than $100 million. And then we did something interesting to make Congress consequences for their lack of action. They have 12 appropriation bills that they have to pass every year, and they never do, and they come back with that omnibus. Now we say, if you don't do your job, it's a 1% cut across the board. So encourage members of Congress, not now with the new Congress, you actually show up, you're now you're going to have to work. This is going to be the biggest cut by the Congressional Budget Office says in history of where we're going forward. To do all that, we allowed the debt ceiling to go forward for the next 18 months and we'll readdress it, hopefully with a Republican president and a Republican Senate to even make it stronger. Yeah, exactly. But in uh, 18 months, we're going to be uh, 
another $4 trillion in debt. And this is how McCarthy does his spin on this crappy bill and trying to say that he did things. The problem is, is this bill is uh, what an attorney explained to me uh, 25 years ago as what they call latticing, where they lattice little clauses in one paragraph and they refer to a to a, uh, a rule in this paragraph into a another paragraph in another section of the contract. And then that refers to another section. So you basically have to be a lawyer to see what's in it. To, to understand, you got to go back and forth and back and forth and say, and so they say, hey, this these are the rules, but you know, unless section over here says that we can we can waive the rules. And there's a whole bunch of that in here, and we're going to talk about that, but I'm just about out of time for this half of the main event. So uh, let's stop stop here for five minutes of traffic, traffic commercials and sports and uh, and uh, uh, and weather. And we'll be right back with lots, lots more clarity on that crappy, uh, crappy bill that just got passed. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about mortgage and finance on the radio but I could talk for hours and hours on it but if you're uh, if you're looking to uh, to take advantage of the of the falling interest rates that are far from where they need to be but they but they are going down and uh, equities is still equity is still high if you got a ton of ton of uh, bills that you've racked up while the gas prices have been high and uh, and uh, you know you're not making as much money and or you're getting laid off contrary to what the jobs reports say um, and you're uh, and you're experiencing life and you need to do a cash out refinance or uh, you maybe want to look into one of those reverse mortgage things or maybe you want to pick up a, a a deal on a on a house out there in a that you don't already own in a in California or another state call me toll free at 855-640-2020 that's 855-640-2020 you want to talk with someone who thinks like you and if you're and if you're uh, you're listening to the main event clearly Clearly, you realize that I think like you, and I'll help you uh, lead you to a common sense, logical, uh, logical decision that makes sense for your goals, not mine. Um, or go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, and we'll do the we'll do the cyber thing. So before the break, we were talking about where we've been we've been talking about the uh, the new bill that uh, the Fiscal Responsibility Act bill that uh, was just passed by the by the Congress and the Senate. And um, uh, apparently Joe Biden's going to sign it before he goes off for a, another weekend in Delaware hiding in his basement um, and, uh, and, and gets rid of the, uh, the, the threat of, of financial chaos, economic chaos, because we, uh, we can't pay our bills and we're going to default on our, all our bills. Um, I don't think this was the right thing to pass, in my opinion, and the Democrats are calling it a win and the Republicans are calling it a win. And uh, us, the taxpayers, uh, in my opinion, we lost. So uh, in the in the last clip I played you, McCarthy's talking about a couple things at the end there, and I want to, I don't want to bring those out. The fir- first, the bill uh, the bill includes language that says when the executive branch, also known as the president, wants to impose a new regulation that will cost more than a billion dollars over ten years or a hundred million dollars in any given year, the federal agency involved would need to submit a plan to offset the price tag. 
So for example, EPA would need to submit a plan for how it would offset a billion dollars spent on, on new regulations. So, hey, we want this new regulation. It's going to cost $100 million a year or, 10, uh, or a billion over 10 years. Um, we are going to submit a plan where we're going to cut $100 million a year or a billion over 10 years to offset that. Say, hey, we need to figure out how to pay for it before we start, start any new program. Sounds good, right? Except for there's an escape hatch. The bill also says that the director of the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, who is politically appointed by the president, can waive this rule if so desired. So if Biden's OMB director wants to waive it, he can, which means if Biden wants to waive it, he can. And that's why some Republicans are calling this part of the bill irrelevant and another reason why 71 of them voted no. And that a big portion of those people want Kevin McCarthy out as Speaker of the House. Also, this bill does not repeal the Inflation Reduction Act's green tax subsidies, which McCarthy had initially promised in the Limit, Save, Grow Act. There are some good reforms to the environmental review, reviews in terms of cutting down on paperwork for builder permits, which the Heritage Foundation calls the best part of this bill. So, hey, they cut down on some of the red tape so builders can get permits and we can build more houses and we can get things done. You know, remember, Trump said we're going to cut taxes, we're going to cut regulations so that the economy builds up more steam. And uh, so we're clearly not cutting the spending with this bill, but we did cut some regulations. So there's one. that's one good thing in the bill. Second thing McCarthy mentioned, the bill outlines how a forced 1% spending cut will be triggered if Congress fails to pass the 12 appropriation bills they're required to pass in a year, one appropriations bill for each House subcommittee. McCarthy claims this will help Congress avoid omnibus bills at the end of the year, but critics say there's evidence to the contrary. From the Federalist, McCarthy's debt deal virtually guarantees another omnibus train wreck. Did you enjoy the massive, more than 4,000-page omnibus spending legislation that lawmakers passed days before Christmas without having time to read? If so, you'll love the debt limit deal House Speaker Kevin McCarthy negotiated with the Biden administration. Despite claims to the contrary, provisions in this legislation practically guarantee another train wreck omnibus bill is coming in December. The article goes on to outline how Section 102 on the bill comes with a huge caveat. It does not prohibit Congress from passing those 12 appropriation bills in a single omnibus spending bill. So we are still just as likely to get omnibus at the end of the year, no matter what the speaker says. Let's hear from some other of the no voters. Byron Donalds of Florida, Chip Roy of Texas, Andy Biggs of Arizona, and Freedom Caucus Chair Scott Perry of Pennsylvania. This deal keeps all of the Democrat policy. Leadership needs to sit down with us and bring us all back down to the table so that we don't do exactly what they just did this weekend. I don't view this as a victory for us. I view this as kind of a monstrosity. We will do everything in our power to stop it. This is why this should be done by committee and not by just uh, Kevin McCarthy and uh, and Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell clearly part of the good old boys, and he doesn't he doesn't really care. He's too old to to really care anymore. He's rich. He's not he's not really involved. He's not really he he's not really vested in this thing. And and it's easy to get snowed when uh, when you got the Democrats working together to say, okay, we'll do this, but we want this little thing, and we're gonna add this and add that, and. Kevin McCarthy just and I and I don't blame him. I don't you know, I'm going to give him a little bit of 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 uh, relief here is that it's hard to see everything when you're the only one in it. 
you're the only one in it. You know, you know, hey, you, you think like you got something, but you don't have time to think this through. Where if you had a committee of people, um, of these guys, hey, let's sit down, and one of them goes, well, wait, 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 wait. This part is good, but you're putting in this other part that doesn't make any sense. And and you know, McCarthy got snowed on this one, and the American people got snowed. Someone else sounding out about McCarthy bill who's not in Congress, but used to be, is is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He kicked off his campaign in Iowa this week with harsh words for McCarthy's negotiations. We now see Washington has now cooked up their latest, quote, debt deal. And I can tell you this, our nation was careening towards bankruptcy before the debt deal, and it will still be careening towards bankruptcy after this debt deal. This is greenlighting $4 trillion in new debt in less than two years. It took us almost 200 years to get to $4 trillion in debt in the first place. It locks in inflated COVID level uh, uh, era levels of spending. And it keeps 98% of the 87,000 new IRS agents that Joe Biden instituted. This is not going to solve our nation's fiscal problems. I can tell you in Florida, we run budget surpluses. It can be done. You just have to be willing to make choices and stop passing the buck to subsequent generations to clean up your mess. Yeah, I'm in agreement with uh, about 100% of what DeSantis just said. And uh, he should be our president in 2028. He probably It would probably be good if Trump had him as his vice president and involved him in everything. So DeSantis has a four-year uh, crash course on everything that he doesn't know. One Republican on McCarthy's side, Jason Smith of Missouri, had words for Ron DeSantis. For my first time in, in, in serving in Congress, we have work requirements that are going to be signed into law. This is the largest rescissions package in the history of the United States. In fact, 20 of the 99 pages of the bill rescind spending. That's something Ron DeSantis was never able to pass when he was a member of Congress. Well, while Jason Smith has been in Congress for 10 years, this, this to me sounds like, like a high school sophomore lecturing on someone else on how to support a family well you know what you're still living with your parents and you don't have a you don't have a job and you're not paying your own bills yet maybe you should uh, get a crash course in uh in uh you know actually balancing a checkbook paying bills you know handling a mortgage uh you know and uh and you know having some experience in life before you start making these these statements i'm you know this guy's a, this guy is a republican and he's been there for 10 years and he's a lawyer but I just think his uh, his uh, his comments sound a little sophomoreish. McCarthy scheduled a final vote for Wednesday night, and here's what he said about his critics on Wednesday morning. Hey, look, people have different opinions. Before this, I had 17 Republicans who have never voted for a debt ceiling. Period. To govern is not easy, but I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Can you get it done without about- them? Oh yeah, we'll get it done without them. I will agree. Governing is not easy. And uh, either are either are negotiations and uh, and uh, but McCarthy did did get it done without some of those people that were dissenting with the final vote uh, tally of 314 to 117. But this is what bothers me. 149 Republicans voted voted yes and 165 Democrats voted yes. So uh, why did more Democrats vote yes for this than the Republicans? I think there's a message there. And President Biden called the bill. Good news for the American people and the American economy, which says it all about why this bill is nothing to get happy about. But it passed the Senate Thursday night, 
and it will be signed into law by Biden in the nick of time. And supposedly that's going to happen Friday night, which uh, is uh, unless you're unless you're listening early. That'll be before you hear this show. Senate Senate vote tally passed 63 to 36. 17 Republicans voted yes. 44 Democrats voted yes. Why are the Democrats more excited about this than the Republicans? I think that says it all. So uh, Ron DeSantis hit the ground running, running in Iowa this week, and he's already making some pretty big promises to lure Republican voters. At some point, it's, uh, it's going to get tough for the governor to put, put his money where his mouth is. Case in point, a promise that he will destroy leftism. If I'm the nominee, I will beat Biden uh, and I will serve two terms and I will be able to uh, destroy leftism in this country and leave woke ideology on the dustbin of history. Of course, that's uh, we would have thought Trump would have served two terms, too, um, based on what a great job he did. And uh, but, uh, you know, DeSantis, uh, hey, I will serve two terms. I'm going to destroy leftism. You know, I say uh, famous last words. Fortunately, DeSantis is not the only Republican running a serious campaign for president. You'd never know it if you watch Fox News daytime lineup, uh, which is clearly a bunch of people that are trained that they're not supposed to uh, be pro-Trump by the Fox people. But Trump is still leading in the polls among Republican voters. The latest from 538. Uh, which I explained last week is uh, takes a, uh, a takes a look at all the different averages on all the different polls to come up with something uh, realistic. And according to that, Trump's uh, Trump's support has gaining has gained uh, since last year. It's ga- it continues to go up. Trump right now is according to the 538 is 54.2 uh, percent, while DeSantis has uh, has. Not gone down a lot, but it seems to be going down. And maybe the last over the last month since he uh, since he announced it's 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 about level. But he's at twenty point twenty point nine percent. Trump at fifty four point two. Mike Pence, who's about to uh, announce his uh, run, which I don't know why, five point four percent. Nikki Haley, who was the first to announce, four point six percent. Vivek Ramaswamy, three point six. Uh, uh, Tim Scott, who announced last week. Uh, two two percent. Ada Hutchinson, that no one even knows where he is, is at 0.7, which is still higher than Larry Elder, um, who isn't even on the on the chart. I'm not really sure why some of these people are running, but except for maybe because uh, you get to raise money. And uh, I'm thinking, hey, you know, the mortgage business slowed down because interest rates are up. Maybe I'll just announce uh, that I'll run for president, and uh, you guys will just start sending me money. And uh, I don't think I'm gonna do that. Uh, Fox News confirmed this week that Pence will announce soon, as will Chris Christie, uh, former governor of New Jersey. In Trump's town hall with Sean Hannity on Thursday night, he handled the issue of Biden's mental faculties. You know, if, and, and we haven't mentioned this, but after watching uh, 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 Biden's physical faculties, uh, watch him uh, uh, fall down face first on a stage in front of all the cameras and, uh, of course, the Air Force Academy graduates. Trump handled that with uh, with with class and respect. I have asked you repeatedly about what you think about Joe Biden's cognitive state. I've asked you about is he up to the job physically, mentally? You have been very reluctant to go there. Why are you reluctant to call that out? Well, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. I actually called Sean and I I asked Sean not to joke about it. I was joking because he used to joke about it. And I said, honestly, I don't think it looks good for you or for anybody for you to joke about it. It's uh, not appropriate. You can speak about it if you want, but I don't think you should joke about it. And you really didn't after that. 
Yeah, apparently we're not supposed to joke about it because the joke is Joe Biden. He also talked about how far we've fallen on energy independence in just uh, just two and a half years since Biden's been in office. So we were energy independent. Think of it three years ago. And what people don't know is that we have, I call it liquid gold because it's gold. It's better than gold. We have liquid gold under our feet more than any other nation, more than Saudi Arabia, more than Russia. We're energy independent. Within six months, we would have been energy dominant. And we were going to sell energy to Europe and lots of other places. And we were going to make so much money doing it because it's such a big business. It's all encompassing. And that's what started the inflation. I mean, the energy, we stopped drilling and all of a sudden uh, gasoline's going up to five, six dollars a gallon in a car for a car. And just horrible things were happening. And it, it happened. We had so much oil, we didn't know what to do with it. We bought a lot of it for very little for the strategic national reserves that he then took to keep the prices down before an election. You know, we had the strategic national reserves almost full. And then Biden came along and took it to keep prices down, it's called artificially down. And the thing is almost empty now. And that's meant for times of war. It's not meant to keep a price down for an automobile. It's meant for war, for real problems. And we had it 75, think of it, 75 million barrels. And I bought it for peanuts. And Congress, I had to fight Congress and the pricing was so crazy and so good. And we needed a place because we had so much. So we started filling up. This guy comes along and he takes it for automobiles, for people so they, before the election, so the price could keep down. Now it's totally empty. It's, it's the emptiest I think it's been in 50 years. Down and it's so sad. And by the way, the price is still very high. Yeah, if you didn't watch this town hall, uh, find it on online YouTube or foxnews.com. I'm sure it's everywhere. And the second half that's going to play tonight, which I'm recording Friday morning, so uh, it's going fri- to play fri- Friday evening at 6. Uh, the second half of it, and then hopefully there'll be more questions from the audience uh, there because you can see how Trump handles this. He knows he knows his stuff. He knows how the government works. He knows how this all works. He's a, got a razor-sharp memory for, for what's gone on, and he's going to be a force that is going to be hard for any politician to beat because Trump is the guy. And, uh, and, and I'm telling you, we need Trump four more years. So, uh, so and because we weren't able to cover this a few weeks ago uh, uh, when uh, CNN had their two-hour town hall on CNN that everybody went crazy about because Trump destroyed the lady who was who was handling it. The Trump, the, the audience was behind him. He was, he was awesome on this. Um, but we weren't able to cover it. Uh, so here's a part of the CNN town hall from May 10th. And when you think about the bill we're watching them pass this week to avoid default, this is a pretty timely quote. Hi, Mr. President. Hi, uh, so my question is, what do you think about the United States current debt situation and how can we move forward? Uh, such an important question. So we're at thirty three trillion dollars, a number that nobody ever thought possible. When we had our economy rocking and rolling just prior to COVID coming in, like literally we were making a fortune and oil. We were going to make so much money from oil. We were going to start paying off debt. But then with COVID coming in, we had to do other things. We had to keep this country alive because it was so serious. But we have to get the country back. We have to lower energy prices. We have to lower interest rates. Interest rates are through the roof. Energy has to come down. It all has to come down. And we have to start paying off debt. But when we have a debt limit, and they use that very seriously to me, they came in, Schumer came in with Nancy Pelosi, 
and they were using, we'll violate it, we'll do whatever. They talked a whole lot different than they do right now. I say to the Republicans out there, congressmen, senators, if they don't give you massive cuts, you're going to have to do a default. And I don't believe they're going to do a default because I think the Democrats will absolutely cave because you don't want to have that happen. But it's better than what we're doing right now because we're spending money like drunken sailors. So you know just to expression. be clear, Mr. President, you think the U.S. should default if the White House does not agree to the spending cuts Republicans well, are demanding? Well, you might as well do it now because you'll do it later because we have to save this country. Our country is dying. Our country is being destroyed by stupid people, very stupid people. You once said that using the, that using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge uh, just could not happen. You, you said that when sure. you were in the That's Oval Office. That's when I was president. To, so why is it different now that you're out of office? Because now I'm not president. <laughs> clearly. Clearly, Kevin McCarthy doesn't th- see things as clear as Trump does, and and you know Trump is is candid. You know his, he's you know his his candor that he uses is so transparent. It's so honest. He doesn't have to have a he doesn't have to have notes in his hand. He doesn't have to have a he doesn't have to have a uh, teleprompter. He talks from his heart. He talk you know, and that's that's when you know you're telling the truth when you're not reading it. When you're not reading a prepared statement, you know, they give him a, a question. He know he knows it. He understands it. Hey, you know what? We're going to have to default. We're going to have to default because it's going to have if, if you don't default now, you're going to default later. You got to get those spending cuts or you just don't let the debt ceiling get raised. And uh, and I think I think McCarthy failed in that one. I think he failed. And uh, and it's and it's clear by how the votes went down. And the Democrats are more excited about it than the Republicans. And I think uh, this is not going to be good for Kevin McCarthy. And which until until Thursday, uh, until Thursday, well, let's say until Memorial Day weekend when he negotiated this deal, I was uh, pretty, pretty happily, happily surprised with the with what he's been doing. I think he I think he uh, I think he tripped over his shoelaces on this one. Uh, No pun intended. Um, So uh, since Biden is the incumbent president seeking reelection, the DNC has already decided there will be no primary debates on the Democrat side. There is plenty of precedent for that. There were no primary debates against Obama in 2012 or Bill Clinton in 1996 or against Bush in 2004, for that matter, on the Republican side, of course. But typically, no one runs against the incumbent. But that's not the case this time. But given this president's waning popularity, it's fair. It's 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 a fair question. Why not give the two candidates challenging Joe Biden a forum to debate him? Well, mostly because Joe Biden wants to win this one from the basement of uh, of Delaware. He wants to he wants to he doesn't want to campaign. He doesn't want to debate. He just wants to be given the given the uh, the the office for another four years. But as when he when he announced last month, I said he just doesn't want to be a lame duck and he will drop out and and he'll drop out towards the end of this year or early next year when it's going to be a real scramble for some Democrats to get ramped up to run um, because out of respect, they're not. But but after all, but, you know, uh, after all, CNN poll shows shows Robert F. Kennedy Jr. taking 20 percent of Democrat voters away from Biden right now, you know, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., what does he have going for him? He's a Kennedy. And, you know, he doesn't speak very clearly. He's got something wrong with his throat. Um, but, you know, he's he's challenging because he knows Biden can't be the president another four years. And, of course, Marianne Williamson's taking away another eight percent. She's going to meet She's going to meet him on the field of battle and and 
love will win. And uh, and then there's another 8% of the Democrat vote that uh, goes for unspecified. Hey, anybody else, I'll, anybody, any other Democrat will, will vote for, but not Biden. Here's someone who knows something about running a presidential campaign, Kellyanne Conway. Most Democrats do not want Joe Biden to seek a second term. And I have a question for President Biden today. Why do you want the job? No one else seems to want you to keep that job. If 38% of Democratic primary voters right now are going for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or Marion Williamson, who aren't even allowed to debate, they won't have a debate against him, then it tells you something. Yeah, and and let me play the next part. I'm almost out of time. Let me play the next part of her comment. It's not going to be effective. Look, all of his poll numbers are down on every major issue. And then his personal attributes, according to the Fox News poll, only a third think he's got a vision for the country. They don't think he's got the mental sharpness and the physical stamina. And to voters, agility is ability. That's not going to change between now and next November. Yeah, so she's talking about what's not going to work. They're they're moving the uh, they're moving the the first primary to South Carolina, where he's most popular, where he's most popular, so he can have a first, the first primary and actually win it. And they think that's going to be a big boost for, big boost for Biden, uh, as opposed to uh, you know where things have been for years and years and years, where uh, the first primary is Iowa, the second primary is is New Hampshire, because they don't think they don't think that's going to be a good look when the incumbent president loses the primary to uh, one of his uh, to one of his challengers. And, you know, when Kellyanne says agility is ability. Well, you know, we saw his agility on the stage of the Air Force Academy uh, graduation on Thursday and his agility just isn't there. And he's falling flat on his face. And uh, and you know what? I don't know. I don't know what anybody's thinking. I don't know what anybody's thinking and uh, thinking he can run another four years. I don't. I, I watch Twitter and I watch. I watch people say, "Hey, you know what? Biden. May, Biden may be old. It's not about. It's not about his age. It's about his brain. His brain isn't there. You know, uh, Bernie Sanders is older than him. He's clearly. He's clearly sharp. He's not. He's not. He's not intelligent, but he's still sharp and can can." Uh, can get his points out and he he clearly thinks clearly even though he's not clearly thinking person um but you know what biden is not there and and my opinion mark my words is sometime early 24 or late 2023 he's going to use all these falls falling on his face and and falling off his bike and he's going to say hey due to my health issues uh i'm gonna i'm gonna not run for re-election and i'm gonna support whoever and the democrats will be scrambling hey i'm all out of time for this episode of the main event so uh keep your eyes open keep your brain turned on and uh and i will be back again with you next week